You may be seated. So I don't know exactly who it was that first said it, but I know that it's, it's a saying, it's a motto that many people use from time to time. Maybe you have it taped on your refrigerator. Maybe it's uh, there on your desk or on your wall for you to see over and over to kind of inspire you, to motivate you. When the going gets tough, what? The tough get going. So presidents have it. Uh, positive thinkers have it. Uh, maybe a football coach or two has used it from time to time. And you know the kind of people, especially, that the motto refers to. It's the one who is there at the doctor's office and the surgeon gives bad news. And he says, just give it to me straight, doc. I can handle it. Just give it to me straight. Or if you're on campus, you're in college, and you know that there is one professor who has not given any A since 1983, and you say, yep, that's the class that I want. I want the toughest one. It's when you're at the doctor or at the dentist's office, and you say, just hold the Novocaine. I don't really need that. Right? Just go ahead and drill. Just go ahead and drill. It's okay. You don't, you don't get drafted into the service. You volunteer. You're going to take the toughest assignment. Because when the going gets tough, what? The tough get going. Of course they do. And so when we come to a scripture like today, you're that one that says, all right, no euphemisms, no moralizing, don't sugarcoat it, pastor. Give me the truth. Give me the hard news here in the good news. And there it is. The unvarnished truth. Jesus said, after he had washed the disciples' feet, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, of course, in our day and age, there's not a lot of foot washing going on. So we do that this morning. Everybody take off their shoes. We'll just go around. We'll wash your... No, you've got showers at home. You've got bathtubs at home. We don't need to wash our feet in that kind of a way. Because we have shoes, we don't have sandals, we don't go around barefoot. We have facilities, we have resources. So today, what does it mean to wash others' feet? Well, did I say anything about uh, the grounds need to get cleaned around here yet? (laughs) Uh, The toilets in the bathroom? Scrub the floor? Wax the floor? How about loving the unlovely? Being compassionate to those who are in need. How about loving those people in church you don't like? You see, feet still get dirty. Letting someone else take credit for all the work that you have done. Feet still get dirty, and they still need to be washed. And yet, as we take a look at this, there are a lot of you who are saying, I can do that, I can roll up my sleeves, I can do that, I can serve, I can love the unlovely, I can be compassionate to those who don't deserve it. No, the irony of the whole thing is that this is not 
the hard news. <laughs> you see, the, <clears throat> the response of the disciples, voiced by Peter, wasn't so much to the washing of their feet. It wasn't that they were <clears throat> going to have their feet in the water, in the basin. It wasn't that Jesus was going to have his hands there on their feet. It wasn't that he was then going to dry their ankles. It wasn't that they were going to have to do that for others, but rather that he was going to do it for them. To receive, to sit still, the grace that Jesus would give to them. You see, Jesus didn't say, okay, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet, now you go wash James, and James, I'm going to wash your feet, then you go do John, and then you go do Thomas, and down the line, it was that each one would have to sit and let Jesus wash their feet. So that's the hard news for today. Before we have anything to give, we must first receive from Jesus. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So what does that look like today? So there's a congregation. It's a rather affluent congregation. A congregation that every Sunday, the last Sunday of the month, they have the members of the church come down the aisle, and they then have tables set up with baskets, and they take an offering for the poor and for the needy. Half of it goes to the, to the local food pantry, and half of it then goes to global missions. So it's a particular Sunday, and the tables are all set up. The offering baskets are there. The crowd comes down during the last hymn until there's a lady who's kind of out of place. She doesn't look like she belongs. In fact, she looks like a street person. She has that rather unkempt look about her. Her hair is all messed up. Her clothes are dirty. In fact, some of them are torn, even look like rags. She looks like one of the people that they are taking the offering for in the first place. And so everyone's curious, what is she going to do? What kind of an offering is she going to make? And of course, there are those who are thinking, well, maybe, maybe she's going to take money out of the offering basket for herself. But then when she gets to the foot of the altar, she makes her offering, but not in the conventional way. Rather, she kneels down, bows her head, and begins to pray. And I would submit to you that that was the most complete and the most effective offering of that Sunday. It was her prayer and not the economic power of that congregation that was the true offering. So often we as churches believe that we have the resources on our own to serve, and to give. And the point of our message today is that ministry of any kind is not a matter of our strength, but rather of God. There's a famous theologian, I'm going to have a quote you can put up there, that says this. It says, Christians are utterly dependent upon what we cannot control. Except that's not the true original quote because it's rather an indictment of the leaders of churches and especially pastors the original quote went like this pastors should be embarrassed 
Pastors should be embarrassed because they have nothing of themselves to give to the church. And what does that mean? Whose word is it that you hear every Sunday? Or at least, whose word is it that you should hear? Not my word, not my wisdom. But that thing that I don't have on my own. The thing you do not have on your own, and that is God's word. God's wisdom, God's knowledge, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's grace. And so I changed the pastor to include all of us. Every single one of us as a people of God are utterly dependent upon what we cannot control and that is the grace of God. When I was at the seminary we had a, we had a professor who often quoted another professor from St. Louis University. Now St. Louis University is a Jesuit meaning Catholic institution. And so the one professor that I had would quote from him, his name was Belden Lane. And Belden Lane is a noted storyteller. He is a, a teacher of narrative, of storytelling. And so my professor told the story about Belden Lane when he went to a storytelling convention. Has anybody ever been to a storytelling convention? Anybody? <clears throat> I never have. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? You hear lots of stories. So he was excited to be sure to be going to this convention, hear all kinds of famous storytellers, but he was also terrified. It's kind of like preachers who go and preach in front of preachers. You know, they're going to judge you harshly, right? So they're going to be very critical, and so he's very nervous. And when he gets there, he runs into another famous storyteller, a lady from New York, and he admits to her that he's terrified. He says, I don't know that I'm a real storyteller. And she said these words. She said, no one is really a storyteller. We only have stories that we hold on to for a while and share. I love that quote. Because doesn't that describe us as disciples? We're utterly dependent upon what we cannot control, which is the grace of God. We have stories, and we are blessed, aren't we? To carry our stories and to carry the gifts in the presence of Jesus for how long? For only a little while, for the time that we are here on earth. And what a blessing it is that we can share them with others. Now, another case study. Let's do this. Uh, let's pick a familiar story that everyone knows. So, let's do this. Can you think of one? How about, anybody know this one? The parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you know that story? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of it. Now, raise your hand if you're still paying attention. There we go. Okay, good. Good. Thought I lost you there for a second. All right, so, parable of the Good Samaritan. Who is it that comes to Jesus? This is a a rich, young, cocky lawyer, right? And he wants to know the answer to who is my neighbor because Jesus said, keep the commandments, do what? Love God and love what? Who? Love your neighbor, right? Love God, love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Okay, scenario. A man, imaginary man, is walking from Jericho 
down to Jerusalem. And the lawyer thinks in his mind, I know that road. I've been on that road. Everybody's been on that road. You've been on that road. So he imagines the guy walking down the road. And what happens to him? He's mugged. And now he's in the ditch. And he's left for dead. And he imagined it in his mind. I'm mugged. I'm left for dead. Who comes by? First, who is it? A priest. And what does he do? He goes on the other side of the road. Then who comes next? Levite. He goes by the other side of the road. Then finally, who comes? It's a Samaritan. And he is repulsed. Just like Peter. Jesus, don't wash my feet. No, no, no. You can't wash my feet. That's wrong. Samaritan's not going to touch my feet. No way. And yet, what does the Samaritan do? He binds up the wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to the hospital or the hotel and he says, stay there as long as you need. I'll pay for the whole thing. If you have a bill at the end, I'll pay for that too. And then the question, which one is the neighbor? Well, now, what's the lawyer going to say? You know, you've just told the story. It's the one who showed mercy to me because I was in the story. It's the Samaritan. Now then and only then, Jesus says, what? Go and do likewise. Before that, the lawyer couldn't serve. He couldn't give mercy. He couldn't show grace because he had not yet received it. But now in his neediness, he has been served and he can go and do likewise. How many of you here work in a field of compassion? Any any nurses out there? Doctors? First responders? Police, firefighters, teachers. What the heck do you people do? (laughs) You know, psychologists say, not always, but for the most part, we become, our profession becomes what had the most impact upon us in our youth. So nurses often, not always, but nurses often become nurses because someone showed compassion to them in their time of need. I became a teacher first off because I had a great teacher in high school and I wanted to do the same. And of course, you know, firefighters become firemen not because they were rescued from fires, but because they get to ride a a big red shiny truck. I mean, come on, that's it, right? And everybody parks along the side of the road when the siren comes. But isn't that the truth? I mean, so often how we are impacted is what we do later on. We can show compassion when it has first been shown to us. And yet that is the hardest part of the whole story. It's it's not the actual serving, it's the receiving from others. So another case in point, another case story, if you like, 
I've told my story many times. I'm going to tell it again a little bit differently today. A lot of you know that I had cancer many years ago. I was at the seminary. And I have to say the toughest part of it all, because I was one of those guys who followed that mantra, that motto, when the, when the going gets tough, what? The tough get going. So the hardest part of, of having cancer wasn't that I was sick. I could handle that. It wasn't so much being in the hospital, I could handle that. It wasn't so much the needles, which I don't like, but I could handle that. It wasn't so much the nausea, I could handle that. It wasn't so much the loss of hair after chemotherapy, that was just preparing me for the future. I could handle that. No, the hardest part was that here I was, young and single and healthy, And so my planning for the future was I was going to save money in that I would not have major medical insurance. Why did I need it? All I had was emergency care because I had never had really anything happen to me, an occasional, you know, sprain or bruise or this or that, but but nothing else. And so I didn't need all that stuff. And so when the time came and the bills came in, the hardest part was to receive. Because four months in the hospital costs money. And doctors cost money and nurses cost money. And all the chemotherapy costs money and I didn't have any of that. The hardest part of the whole thing was receiving the dollars from people that I did not know, had never met, will never know. The hardest part was knowing that there were people all over the country who were praying for me. The hardest part was receiving literally hundreds of thousands of dollars anonymously given to a fund on my behalf to pay for my need. So many of you, you roll up your sleeves and you get down on your knees and you scrub the floors and you clean the toilets and you're out there picking up the trash. The hard part is receiving. The prayers of others. The hard part is receiving compassion in grace in the service of others. But Jesus said, unless I wash you, unless you receive my grace, unless you receive my cleansing blood, unless you receive my sacrifice, unless you receive my forgiveness, you can have no part with me as we continue and complete our journey during the season of Lent all the way to the cross the hard news in the good news the serving of others comes only as we first receive from Jesus himself.
And yet the good news in all of this is that Jesus does indeed take the basin and he takes the towel and he tenderly and mercifully not only washes our dirty feet, but he cleanses our tarnished souls so that we then, after we have received God's grace, can go and share it with others my prayer for all of you as we approach the cross in the empty tomb receive again God's compassion his grace his forgiveness his mercy his service so that you can freely give it away amen let's all rise Today we profess our faith through the words